As I said in the announcements, um, we are in the midst of this short series about elders and deacons, but I don't want us to miss the, the bigger point. And the bigger point is what kind of community are we going to be as followers of Jesus Christ? What makes us unique from any other entity in the world, any other community? What is it that makes us different? And, and what is it that's going to help us move closer to Jesus Christ? That's what these sermons are all about. So if you're a, a longtime member, or maybe you're a new member, I met somebody that's visiting that's interested in the Oconee Church plant this morning. Or maybe you're just visiting for the first time, just, just checking out even Christianity. We're preaching on these things for four weeks because it has everything to do with who we are as a people, as a community, as a fellowship, and it has everything to do, it impacts greatly where we're going to go in the future. For instance, in the first sermon a few weeks ago where I preached on general leadership in the church, much different than how the world will define leadership. We talked about serving others. We talked about speaking the truth of the gospel, not only with our mouths, but with the way we live. We talked about being faithful, and faithfulness sometimes is entering into the suffering of other people so that we can suffer ourselves to help other people. It's different than the way the world defines a leader. Last week, Matt preached on elders, men set apart as shepherds, teachers, models, and fathers, and how they need to be good and godly shepherds, teachers, models, and fathers. And in a world where men aren't always thought to be that admirable, and for sometimes some very good reasons, men are not always that admirable, these men as shepherds, as elders, are to be radically different from the world and treat other people differently, not only at church, but wherever they are. So if you were to just take those two sermons in and of themselves, it would be a much different community than other communities in the world. This morning, we're going to preach on deacons. We're going to see the beginnings or the prototype of the diaconate in the church. And I've titled the sermon, Protectors of Joy, because I think in a broad sense, in a, in a visionary type sense, deacons are here to protect the joy of what it means to be saved. We're going to look at that in Acts chapter 6, and we're going to see how, first of all, how the deacons came to be. What was the, the why of the deacons? And in that first point, we'll talk about the qualifications. And they're pretty intense qualifications. Then secondly, the second point, just two points this morning, we're going to talk about what happened when the deacons came and did what they were supposed to do. So let's read this passage here in Acts chapter 6. Um, I'd encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to open it up. If not, it's printed for you in your bulletins. Uh, here now, God's word from Acts chapter 6. In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, 
full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we look at this passage, I pray that you would help us better understand Not only what a deacon is supposed to be, what he's supposed to do, but, Father, even more importantly, who we are all called to be in this community of believers here at Redeemer. Help us to see the beauty of our salvation. Help us to see the calling on our lives to serve and honor other people. And, Father, work in this sermon. In Jesus' name, amen. So, first of all, how deacons came to be. You have to realize in Acts chapter 2, if you were to go back and read the chapter, you you would see the unity and the love of God's people as they celebrated their salvation together. They were having a good time. Acts chapter 4, the needy, they were being cared for. People were rejoicing in their salvation. And because they're rejoicing in their salvation, the numbers grew. They kept growing. And we get to chapter 6 and we read of a problem because of the growth. The unity, the love, the joy is being threatened. And specifically what's happening is these are all Jewish people, Jewish folks in the Jerusalem church. The Hebrew-speaking Jewish widows, they were being taken care of. They were being provided for. But the Greek-speaking Jewish widows, they were being neglected. They were probably in the minority. They probably moved from outside of Jerusalem into the church because that's where they could have a family. May not have been intentional, but some people were being treated differently. It's called, it's, it's, it's phrased in, in our version of the Bible, neglected in the daily distribution. It could have been a lot of things. It could have been food. It could have been money for provisions for the household because these widows, they had no way to take care of themselves. It could have been both. Bottom line is people, specifically widows, the poorest, the most needy in the congregation, they didn't have the assistance they needed so that they could enjoy the salvation that was theirs in Jesus Christ. The people, the the, the church in Jerusalem at the beginning, things were really, really good. They had been delivered from the bondage of sin, from Satan and the fear of death. And for the first time, they were experiencing what it meant to be free, to free from the power of sin. They were forgiven. They had hope. They were free from what the world thought about them. And they were part of something bigger than themselves. They had a family. They belonged. But what happened is, and what happens now, is the effects of sin have a way of creeping in. Even in the church, we're not immune. It impacts people. It creates problems. There's conflict. And now the folks in the congregation are feeling it. And we should, as a congregation, be able to relate to this. 
Marriages go bad because of sin and selfishness. People get hurt. The children get hurt. Maybe we lose a loved one because people die. People are lonely. People are experiencing financial hardship because they lose a job. People are sick. Many forms of poverty in the world today. There are many forms of poverty in our congregation today. Happens everywhere, all the time. We feel it, we experience it. And the apostles, the leaders of the church, they hear about it and they address it. It's not specifically in the text here, but we can draw it out. We need to understand that godly spiritual leaders, those who love Jesus Christ, love his people, they will confront troublesome issues in a decisive way. In fact, I would say confronting problems is a major part of being godly regardless of who you are in this church. You can be a 12-year-old, you can be a 16-year-old, you can be a 30-year-old, you can be an 80-year-old. You can be a man or a woman. Godliness acknowledges that there are problems, they confront the problems, and they try to deal with it in a decisive way. So what the apostles do, they act. They call the congregation together, they acknowledge the problem, and they provide a solution. This is what they say, it's in the text. It's not right, or we could say it's not fitting, or it's not best, that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And I know when we talk about serving tables, what immediately comes to mind is that's lower, that's not as important, but that's not what the apostles are saying. Doesn't mean the apostles disliked serving people. It doesn't mean the apostles disliked caring for people. It doesn't mean they think it's less important. They had been doing it for a long time. They saw Jesus Christ doing it a long time. And what they're saying, this is God cares about the whole human being. Physical needs are important. It is spiritual to care for the physical needs of other human beings. And the way, the way I would say it is like this. If you're going to enjoy God... It's better not to be hungry. It's better not to be lonely. It's better not to be helpless. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy God and be hungry, helpless, and lonely. It's just better. So the apostles, they come up with a solution, and they say, we're going to focus on the word and prayer. And we need others who are called out to address those areas of life that might be hindering them from enjoying the ministry of the word and prayer. They go hand in hand. One's not more spiritual than the other. It's addressing the needs of the whole person, and it's a big deal. And these men, you'll read in the text, they were set apart. The laying on of hands, I think it means they were ordained with authority and responsibility to protect the people from the effects of sin in the world as best they can. That's what deacons do, and it's a big deal. And because it's a big deal, there are certain qualifications. There's qualifications here in Acts says they were admired by the congregation. They were full of the spirit and wisdom. Now, that's a general description. I think Paul gets very specific of that general description in 1 Timothy 3. That's why we're giving you that insert every Sunday for the next four weeks so you can read the biblical qualifications for deacons and elders. Men full of the spirit and wisdom means that they will be dignified. 
And dignified doesn't mean unapproachable. It doesn't mean that they're straight-laced. It means fitting behavior for the situation. It means they can get all crazy at a Georgia game when you win. But you're not going to act that way when you're dealing with an individual who's struggling or hurting. Dignified is acting appropriately in the particular situations that you find yourself in. Not double-tongue, meaning not devious in speech. Meaning you don't say one thing to this person and another thing to that person. When a deacon speaks or, or when a person, it's really when a Christian speaks, we need to not be duplicitous. Not supposed to drink too much. Not supposed to be greedy or dishonest in money. How do you help people with money and provisions if you're greedy? They need to be men who know the gospel and live it out. And if they're married, the wife matters. They too must be dignified, not slanderers, serious, faithful women. So men, full of the spirit and wise. So at this point, I am going to hit upon a couple of uh, taboos in our world today. One is a cultural taboo. One is a more church-related taboo. The cultural one is this. These are men ordained to a particular task. We believe that men are specifically called out to be elders and deacons. And I realize that is unique, that is different from the world, that is often misunderstood and often maligned in the world. We realize this. In fact, I'll give you an illustration of, of, of why we know this is true. Matt, some of you know Matt, one of our pastors here. Uh, you, can, you can talk to him about this story yourself because I'm, I'm sure I'll mess it up a little bit. But Matt and his wife, Nan, they live in our neighborhoods, and they started going to some of these neighborhood um, supper clubs to get to know the neighbors that they don't normally run into. And at one of these supper clubs, obviously, you're going to meet new people, and everybody asks, what do you do? And one lady came up to Matt one day, one evening meal, and she asked him what he did. It's always fun to tell people that you're a pastor because it's really awkward. It's not awkward for us. It's awkward for everybody else. Some people just don't know how to act. But Matt said, well, I'm a pastor. And her response was, oh, I hope it's not one of those women-hating churches. And Matt, in his way, if you know Matt, very whimsically said, Oh, yeah, we're, we're just cavemen. I know the world thinks we're cavemen. But what if we were able to free ourselves from the world's value systems? What if we were to free ourselves from even what we think in and of, in and of our own mind and realize that every person here, both men and women, were not some blob of cells that were that were thrown together by happen chance, but rather, in fact, we are unbelievably, every one of us, unbelievably, amazingly created unique and special, so special that our Creator created us with purpose and design, that men and women were created with purpose and design to be both similar, because we are like each other in many ways, but also to be very different, because we're different. We're free from what the world thinks and free even from what we come up with ourselves. I think we'd be asking some different questions rather than questions like, what do I want to do? 
or, or what do I not want to do, or what can I do and what can't I do, even those, those, are, those are not bad questions in and of themselves, but the questions, if we were free from the world, free from our own mindset, the questions would be more like this, who am I created to be as man, as woman? What should I be doing? And how can I conform my desires to God's perfect, beautiful purpose and design? Because I truly believe this. If we start asking the right questions in the right order, we won't be talking so much about who's in authority. We won't be talking about who has to submit. We won't be talking about equality. We'll be talking more about obedience, holiness, and working together rather than against one another. We have to do that in this community. We believe that God's Word teaches that men are supposed to be ordained to the task of eldering and deaconing. And I truly believe we can make a strong biblical case for that. In fact, I will tell you that there is a beautiful biblical vision of men and women in the church where, where women are cherished, where women are honored, where women are lifted up, where women are loved and integrated into all aspects of the church. And Lord willing, brothers and sisters, we're going to address those things in the future. We had an elder retreat and we talked specifically about this. We are aware of these issues. But we believe these things not because we think women are less important. Not because even that women can't do a lot of the things that men do. Of course they can, sometimes better. It's not that at all. It's when men live as God calls them to live when they really follow Jesus Christ. And we're totally committed to Jesus Christ. Not only women, but the rest of the world will be better off. We need to own what we believe. And to own something means we need to say it, but we also need to live it. Which leads to the second taboo. So ladies, if I made some of you mad or you're a little bit upset or you don't understand, I, I would love to talk to you about that. Any of your pastors would love to talk to you about that. But just know this, ladies, um, if I made you upset, I got the men next. And it's Father's Day. I forgot to mention it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers. Here's, here's my church-related taboo. That's why we really have to be careful when we nominate and elect and ultimately ordain elders and deacons. These qualifications that we've been talking about, we should not lower them. And I have to tell you this because I've talked to a lot of, a lot of my friends that have been saying certain things in the right way, I understand, but I've addressed it and I think the congregation needs to be addressed as well. I keep, I keep hearing from people, both men and women, when we talk about the qualifications, when we preach on the qualifications, I keep hearing so glad for God's grace because we know nobody is like this. Okay. In a sense, that's true. We are all sinners saved by grace and we always fall short. And I promise you, I'm a very aware of that in my own life. Our kids have grown up. I live with my wife, obviously, and we have many conversations when I've acted in a certain way, and my wife very rightly says, I sure am glad you don't act like that at church, Todd. And she's right. And it's very humbling. 
But to say that we can't meet these qualifications, by the way, these qualifications are not, acting for, not asking for perfection. But to say we can't meet these qualifications or these qualifications are, God's got these unfair expectations, it's basically to say that God is wrong. And God's not wrong. And God doesn't give unfair expectations. God says of Job, I said this in my first sermon, he was blameless, he was upright, he feared God, and he turned away from evil, which doesn't mean that Job wasn't a sinner. Paul says, I am the worst of sinners. And, and, and he also says, imitate me. And he says, imitate me, because he knows he's trying to follow Jesus with every bit of his life. What we have to remember is God himself sent his son to die for our sins and to make us new. And by God's grace in faith and repentance, we can not only strive to be these things, but we can be more and more like this. And if we're not trying to be more and more like this, then we have no business being elders and deacons. Because you have to realize the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that's a pretty powerful spirit. That spirit, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, it's available to us, and we can be people like this. And I guess my point would be this. We can't use God's grace as an excuse for our lack of obedience and our lack of effort. The solution isn't to lower the standards or to even say that we can't do this because actually God's grace says that we can do this. When we don't, we repent in humility, seek every day to become more and more like Christ. Do you realize that's what it means to be blameless, upright, fear God, and turn from evil? That's what it means to be people who continually repent in humility and seek every day to become more like Jesus. And I want to say one more thing about this and then we'll move on. And, and I think I can speak not only for myself, but I can speak for Wes, I can speak for Matt, and I think I can speak for all our elders and deacons. If at any time you see me not acting in line with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you see me at any time not acting in light of these qualifications, when you see me slip up, when you see me make a mistake, when you see me sin, because I will, I'd probably ask you to give me a day, hopefully the Lord will work and convict me and I'll be able to come to you and say I'm sorry. But if he doesn't, I beg you, come to me. And if you're right, I want to say I'm sorry. I want to turn to Jesus Christ and away from my sin. And I'm not talking about personality, right? I, I am very much aware some people, for some reason, I can't imagine why. They just don't like my personality. Maybe it's because I'm an Alabama fan. I don't know. I'm not talking about personality, but we're talking about sin. I can't, I can't apologize for my personality, but I can apologize for my sin. And I must apologize for my sin. If I don't apologize for my sin, I have no business being in this pulpit. Men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom. And the world's not going to like it. And in fact, we're not always going to like it easy because it's like it either because it's not easy. But when men who are called to be deacons and elders, when they start doing what they're supposed to do, this is what happens, the second point. 
the Word of God continues to grow, the number of believers increase, and that statement, a large number of priests became obedient. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but at least it means it seems like there were some long-lasting conversions. So those who are later called deacons, because they were men full of the Spirit and wisdom, they worked to safeguard the joy of the fellowship of believers so that every person in the church can do what they're called to do. Every person in the body of Christ is of utmost value, and they all, everybody, everybody out here, you all have gifts that other people need. So deacons look to the needs of the people with a focus on the needy, the lonely, the sick, on any and everyone whose joy in the Lord is being challenged by their circumstances so that they can be free to serve the one true living God. All sorts of practical things come out of this that I don't have time to talk about. But the core duty of a deacon, the core duty of every Christian is to ensure wherever possible the joy of our redemption is shared by all. And what I want to say is like this. This is my vision for deacons. They come to the rescue of the needy. And I know you're going to think I'm a little bit goofy, but here's my picture. I I realize I am goofy, and it's okay. Our deacons are, are knights in shining armor. And they come dressed in the armor of God with the, with the sword of the Spirit and wisdom. And they come and they help us fight and even kill our enemies. And our enemies are not people. Our enemies are the effects of sin and the devil and the world. And when they work together with elders, our unity will grow and the world will take notice. You see, deacons, they're not superheroes. Deacons... They don't have to have a PhD. They don't have to have any kind of degree whatsoever. They don't have to run their own business. All they have to do is love Jesus Christ with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And they have to love Jesus so much that they're willing to die for him. And I realize that's a high calling. But when we as a church see other people loving Jesus like that, it'll make us want to love him like that as well. So whether or not you're a longtime member here this morning, you're a new believer, maybe you're visiting, and I don't know, maybe you're a longtime member, you just think this stuff is weird. You know what? It is. We want to be a community where every member of the church has a place of value, where they're secure and free from the effects of sin in the world as much as possible. And see, the world values pride, power, money, and human achievement, and that cuts people up every day. We value Jesus Christ, and Christ values humility, service, sacrifice, and love, and that heals people all the time. It's the kind of community I want to be a part of. It's the kind of person that I want to be. And I hope the same goes for every person in this community here at Redeemer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Dear God, we realize that you've got high standards for your people, and yet we also realize that in Jesus Christ, all we have to do is try. All we have to do is pursue you, and your grace and your spirit works in our hearts and changes us from the inside out, and we can be different. 
Help us, Father, to serve you as a community of people. Give us godly men and women in the whole of this church so that people would take notice, not of us, but of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.